So this morning is our fifth and our final message in the series we've been doing entitled Relationship. And we're studying what it means to be rightly related to God and specifically how it is that relationship is different than religion. And so far we have asked four questions. What are we trying to achieve in the relationship? Why are we in the relationship at all? What defines our relationship with God? And also what interferes with our relationship with God? The first question gave us the goal of the relationship. The goal is to know Christ. The second question gave us the motivation of the relationship. While circumstances may be used by God to get our attention, the gospel must become our motivation. The third question gave us the nature of the relationship. Our relationship with God is defined by love and made possible only by the righteousness of Christ. And the fourth question gave us the competition of the relationship. Competition is anything that interferes with or takes precedence over our relationship with God. So today we're asking one final question. We're asking the question, what do we gain from our relationship with God? It is a question about benefits. Now in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has counted everything as loss for the sake of Christ. And we get that. We, we've studied that. My question is, what did he gain with Christ? Now, somebody might say, well, Paul, that's easy to answer. He gained forgiveness. He gained eternal life. He gained heaven when he died. And I would absolutely agree. He did gain all of those different things that have just been mentioned. But that is not all that he gained. And I also would like to say that's not even where the blessings began. In fact, as we go through Scripture, we find that forgiveness and eternal life and heaven are all incredible benefits, no doubt about it. But they don't describe all of the transformation that God brought us through, as well as they don't describe the theological components that make any of this possible. And without knowing those things, we still miss a lot of the depth and nuance that comes in our walk with God. So today, we're actually going to see five theological truths that undergird our relationship with God. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. Don't let the word theological translate into boring in your mind. Don't let it translate into maybe theoretical in your mind. Theology matters. Our actions flow out of our beliefs, and our beliefs need to be formed by theology. So these are five theological truths that are defining marks between religion and relationship. And as I go through each of these, I'm also going to point out how each of these five theological truths meet one of the deepest needs that's found in humanity. In other words, until a person is rightly related to God, the deepest needs of their life are still going unmet. We got a lot to cover this morning. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles one more time. Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter three. I'm speaking this morning on the subject, the benefits of relationship. Now today, instead of me reading the entire text up front, I want you to hold your Bible open to the text. We're gonna have prayer in just a moment. But then as I get to that section, I'm going to read that particular section. And Lord willing, by the time we're done, you're going to look at the same text that we have covered now on four other weeks. You'll look at it differently by the time we finish today. 
There's always new depths, always new pieces to explore within the Word. So let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, as we get into this text, we are already thanking you, Lord, just for the freedom that you have placed upon us in this room. God, thank you for the fact that we get a chance to come and to celebrate and to sing and to praise you. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to join together as brothers and sisters in Christ in the pursuit of you. So, Lord, today, may your spirit guide us in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Philippians chapter 3 describes this dramatic exchange in the Apostle Paul's life. You'll notice the words loss or gain mentioned multiple times in verses 7 and 8. Everything that he gained in his former life, he is now saying is a loss in his new life. Now, here's what he is not saying. He is not saying that the law was bad. He is not saying that being Jewish was a deficit. Instead, what he's saying is that when he trusted in those things to make him right with God, it actually took him further away from God instead of closer to him. And now as he describes this exchange, the things that have been gained and the things that have been lost, his tone is not, look at everything I gave up for Christ. Woe is me. His tone is, look at all that I have gained with Christ. The blessings are overwhelming. Now let me pause here for a moment. If you want to see another defining mark, and you can hear it when talking to certain believers about those who are pursuing religion versus those who are pursuing relationship, here's what you'll notice. You will notice when they talk about their life before Jesus, they talk about it with longing terms. And they talk wearily about their life after Jesus. They'll say things like this. Before I became a Christian, I had money. Before I became a Christian, I had the whole weekend to myself. Before I became a Christian, you know, I, I felt as though I had time to spend with my hobbies, but now I'm supposed to be in church and I'm supposed to serve and people are asking me to give. Like They, they talk with longing terms about their life prior to Christ. Here's the thing. When relationship has been overlooked, all you're left with is religious activity. And religious activity devoid of intimacy always leads to burnout. When we foster a relationship with God, the blessings of knowing him far outweigh anything that we might have given up in our previous life. Let's see those in the text. What do we gain with Christ? Here's the first one. We gain our true identity by knowing Jesus. Notice the word true there. We gain our true identity by knowing Jesus. Now, we've already covered a part of this before, but here's like the very quick, like 10-second version of what we've covered up to this point. That is, the Apostle Paul has released his past religious achievements to gain the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And we've said that surpassing value means greater value, or it also means supreme value. That is, he also uses the word know. The word know, it speaks of personal knowledge gained by contact. That's what we've described up to this point. But in verse number 9, the Apostle Paul spoke of being found in him. Now, that's key. That is identification truth. I'm found in him. The New Testament teaches us that we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. It is our identity. That is, the phrase in him or in Christ or in the beloved 
is found over 75 times in the Apostle Paul's writings. I've actually been studying, going verse by verse through Ephesians in my own personal quiet time. And if you go through and you highlight or underline every time it says in Christ, in him, in the beloved, you will just about highlight that entire book. It's found everywhere in there. So this idea of being found in Christ is so important. As a new creation in Christ, listen to this, to know who we are, we first have to know who he is. We're found in him. If we want to know who we are, it begins by knowing him. It begins by seeing how our identity is found in him. So this addresses another deep need of humanity. It is the need for meaningful identity. That is, people can spend their entire lives trying to answer the question, who am I? You'll often find college students, those maybe a little bit out of college, they will spend sometimes years saying, I'm trying to find myself. Adopted children may go in search of their biological parents. Empty nesters many times have to rediscover who they are apart from raising children in the home. Also, retirees, they will begin to search many times for meaningful identity apart from their career. We crave meaningful identity. But unfortunately, many people are taking their identity from the wrong sources. That, that is, they look for identity in the jobs they hold. How many times have you introduced yourself to somebody or they introduce themselves to you and they say, hi, I'm Paul, I'm a pastor. Or hi, I'm Larry, I'm a banker. There's very quick an attachment of identity and job. We often find it sometimes people find their identity in the addictions they face. If you've ever been a part of an AA meeting, you'll often find it begins with these words, I'm John, I'm an alcoholic. Identity attached to addiction. Sometimes people find their identity in their station in life. This is where I am. I'm a parent of a newborn or I am a parent of a teenager and we find identity in those things and often we even find now people are finding identity in sexual preference. But I want you to listen closely. None of those describe your true identity. You are not what you do. You are not who you're with. You are not what you've done. You are who God says you are. And for those who are rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, our identity is found in him. And that identity does not change with time. It does not change with different things that are happening in your life. It is eternal. Now, this is just a quick New Testament snapshot of how the Bible describes your identity in Christ, who you truly are. And when I say quick, this is like maybe seven or eight statements. There's probably 35 to 40 that you can find in your New Testament. Here's just a few of those. I'm a child of God. That's identity, Romans 8. I am chosen and appointed by Christ to bear fruit, John 15. I am a slave of righteousness, Romans 6. I am a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5. I am a saint, Ephesians 1. Sometimes we get scared about that. We're like, I don't feel very saintly a lot of times. Hey, we're going to get into that in just a few moments, but according to Scripture, you're a saint. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Next one, I am righteous and holy, Ephesians 4. I am hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3. 
I am chosen and dearly loved by God. 1 Thessalonians 1. Stop there for a moment. How many people would wake up differently if they knew their true identity? I am, here it is, chosen and dearly loved by God. There's a lot of people who have not had somebody verbally say, I love you in a long time. And yet your word says God, the creator of the universe, is saying you're chosen and you're dearly loved by God. Here's another one. I am an alien and a stranger to this world. That one becomes more apparent each and every passing week. We gain our true identity by knowing Jesus. Here's the next one. We gain justification through the righteousness of Jesus. It says in the text, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You'll find in Scripture that the term righteousness is often a legal term, more than it was used as a moral term. That is, a judge would pronounce someone as righteous. Now, best-case scenario, ideal situation, the person was actually morally righteous more than just being declared righteous. But it wasn't necessarily the case. It was what the judge would say. Now, here's where it connects into the text, also connects into our lives as followers of Christ. The pressing question of Judaism, as well as Christianity, has always been, what can I do so that the righteous judge, who is God, declares me to be righteous? The answer in Judaism was obey the law of Moses. And while the law can help a person gain a sense of morality or some level of self-righteousness, it cannot take away past offenses, nor does it enable us to walk in righteousness in the future. Without righteousness, it is inadequate for gaining salvation. The law was never given in order to make us right with God. It was given to show the holiness and perfection of God. It was given to show the sinfulness of humanity. And it was given as a tutor to lead us to Christ in desperation that we might place faith in what he has done for us. So scripture teaches us none are righteous, not even one. So if God looks at us on the basis of morality, we're all in trouble. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And since we cannot achieve moral righteousness by keeping the law, we need to be declared judicially righteous by the righteous judge. Do you know what the theological term for that is? It's impute. That's a fun word to say. You could say it with me, impute. Impute. Yeah, you actually did that. I didn't know anybody would do that. Impute. So here it is. Listen to this. This is the definition of that. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, he said this. To impute is to think of as belonging to someone and therefore cause it to belong to them. It means to lay upon, to count towards, to credit to an account. In justification, God thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and relates to us on that basis. End of quote. All right. I know this is getting deep, but it's going to be good. Here it is. On the cross... Our sins were imputed to Christ. They were credited to his account. They were placed on him. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf 
So that, listen, that we might become the righteousness, the righteousness of God in him. We were spiritually bankrupt. He was spiritually rich. We were sinful. He was sinless. And from a judicial sense, our sin was credited to his account. That's why the Bible also says the wages of sin is death. So what happened? When it was credited to his account, he died on the cross in our place. But at the same time, at salvation, Christ's righteousness was imputed to us. It was laid upon us. It was credited to our account. To be righteous is to have right standing before God. It's to be fully accepted by him. So in verse number 9, notice his words. Paul says, I don't have a righteousness of my own derived from the law. That is my standing, my acceptance with God is not based on my ability to keep the law myself. He goes on to say, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. He says, I have right standing. I have full acceptance, not because of my ability to keep the law, but because Christ kept it perfectly and his righteousness has been imputed to my accounts. <laughs> I'm going to tell you at like 3 o'clock this afternoon, some of you are going to say, I got it. And you're going to wake up from your afternoon nap. I'm, this will set you free if you get this. Here's how we're justified before God. And by the way, justified, justification means just as though we've never sinned. That is, we're seen through the lens of Christ. We went from, here it is, being drenched in sin to being dressed in righteousness because of what Jesus did. Christians are not perfect in a moral sense. God is still working out our sanctification. We are perfect in a judicial sense. We are positionally righteous in Christ. So if you're a Christian, the righteous judge has declared you righteous. The, the, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to your account. And the only thing that matters is what God thinks of you. Doesn't matter what the enemy says about you. It doesn't matter what others say about you. It doesn't even matter about what you say about yourself. The only thing that matters is what God thinks of you. Here's another deep need of humanity. It's the need for forgiveness. We all mess up. We all sin. We, we all fall short. But for a person to perpetually live under the weight of all of their failures is overwhelming. Those who are in Christ, they are fully forgiven, fully justified, fully righteous because of what Christ has done for them. Here's the next one. What else do we gain? We gain unlimited power through the resurrection of Jesus. He says in verse number 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Now, this is not superhero Marvel comic type of power. You were not bit by a spiritual spider when you became a Christian. You were not given some incredible powers, and now you're forced to walk the earth lonely, using your powers for good. That storyline has already been taken. But the good news is, what happened to you was better than that. Paul has already mentioned this experiential knowledge that comes through salvation in verse number 8. But he still wants to know Jesus more. 
He longed to experience Jesus in his power. Now, here's what we know. The Apostle Paul knew there was no power in the law. He knew it. He lived under it. He recognized that the law could tell him what was wrong. The law could just not empower him to do what was right. He also recognized that there's no power in the flesh to overcome evil, sinful desires and to serve God the way he desires to serve him. Remember what Paul said. He he says over in Romans chapter 7, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. In, In his own strength and in his flesh, he was powerless. But this is also a guy who now knows that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to his account. He understands that the Holy Spirit of God now indwells him. And he also understands that resurrection power is available in him. That is not just in a physical realm, also in a spiritual realm. So the Apostle Paul is here. He's saying, I want to experience Christ in his resurrection power. What happened at salvation? God brought spiritual life out of spiritual death. Resurrection power. What happens in sanctification? He is conforming us into the image and the character of Christ. It is that resurrection power that enables believers to walk in newness of life and enables us to have victory over temptation. It enables us to hold up under trials. That is that resurrection power. So that's another deep need of humanity. It's the need, listen to this, for improvement. We have an innate desire that has been put inside of us to improve, to be better, to be bigger, to be badder, to be bolder. We, we want things to improve. We want to see improvement in our finances, in our homes, with our kids, in our health, in our careers. Believers who are rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, they are empowered to experience the abundant life, John chapter 10. God just doesn't polish up the old. He makes us new. Here's the next one we gain an empathetic companion through the suffering of Jesus. We gain an empathetic companion. In verse number 10, Paul said he wanted to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. What does it mean to know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings? Here's just a snapshot. To know Jesus is to know suffering. You cannot tell the story of Jesus and not tell the story of suffering. All the way back over in Isaiah 53, Jesus is described as grief's acquaintance. He suffered physically at his arrest as well as on the cross. He suffered emotionally and spiritually as he wept over Jerusalem, as he wept over his friend Lazarus who had died, as well as as he cried out to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. You cannot tell the story of Jesus and not tell a part of suffering. So for the Apostle Paul, his desire to know Jesus was greater than his desire for comfort. He was willing to endure temporary comfort for something greater on the other side. Okay. Here's a couple of examples. It is the deep desire for physical health, which means you are willing to endure the pain of exercise more than the comfort of your couch. You're willing to do something now because you want something greater on the other side. 
It is the deep desire for nutritional health, which means you are willing to endure the yuckiness of celery. When you would rather have the joy of an Oreo cookie. Okay? It is the deep desire for financial freedom that means you are willing to restrict your spending today for greater opportunity tomorrow. That is, we understand when there's a deeper desire for something else on the other side, we're willing to set aside comfort. We're willing to set aside something we want in the present because we want something else more on the other side. The Apostle Paul knew that to know Christ is to know suffering. And he was willing to endure temporary discomfort for the greater joy of knowing him on the other side. How does, how does that work out? Listen. Here's how you pray it. God, if it takes pain for me to know you more, help me to welcome the pain. If it takes being uncomfortable for me to know you deeply, God, help me be okay with some discomfort. If it takes great loss for me to understand great joy, God, would you mercifully Walk me through that process. My question is, how bad do you want to know him? About four and a half years ago, I was in this text. This series was born out of what God did in my heart four and a half years ago. And I got to that particular point in the text, and I said, God, I don't know if I want to know you that bad. And in the stillness of my office at home, Here's all I heard. You will. And it started four and a half years of some of the most painful experiences of my life. Within just a matter of a week or so, we had a number of crises that came through the church that led to months and months of offering ongoing counseling and sitting down with people and helping people walk through struggles and trials. We ended up having a number of really close friends of ours who they turned their back on us. They attacked. They began to spread rumors. People that we had worshipped with for years. I ended up going through physical issues. I've been a healthy person for most of my life. I, I had pneumonia twice in this period of time. I had issues that started probably two and a half years worth of back physical therapy. I, I ended up dealing with three bulging discs and a couple of ruptured discs and a fractured vertebrae. And there were days I could literally just sit down in one chair, one position. I could not sit up. I could not lean back. I sat there. And here, here's all I can tell you. When you have nothing that you can do other than focus on God, he shares a lot with you. I just sit and pray. We experienced after that both of my parents passing away in about a 14-month period of time. And all along the way, I keep saying, God, is this it? Is this it? And then COVID hits. And I'm going to tell you all, you all, you know, you, you've lived it. You've walked through it. But what's happened in churches beat pastors to death through COVID. Because you want to love people well. And things are very divided in this. 
and you just want to love people and you want to preach Jesus and it seemed like there's nothing you could do that would make everybody happy so you come out and one day you get beat to death and the next day somebody else comes and they finish off the rest of it and we just kept going through that I was so excited when things began to lift and and you all know we're back in some of those difficult moments again right now here's what I can tell you he's enough he's enough Because when you're going through that, even the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, when you're saying, God, use it so that I may know you, every opportunity is an invitation and an opportunity to know him more. So whether or not you got beat to death yesterday, here's what you do. You say, God, help me to know you in that beating. If you're suffering physically as you're there, say, God, help me to know you deeply in this moment. Don't waste the experience. Every moment gives us another opportunity to know him more. So here's what you have. There's another deep need of humanity that's mentioned here. It's the need for comfort. Life brings pain. Tragedies occur. Sickness and disease, they distort God's creation. People we love pass away. And you may wonder, does anybody understand what I'm going through? Jesus understands. Oh, here's a good one. Here's a good one for you. Write it off to the side, Job chapter 9. Job 9. I don't know if you have spent some time there, but if there's a man who understood some suffering, it's Job. And at one point, here's what he says. He says, he, speaking of God, is not a man that I may answer him, nor is there a mediator between us who may lay his hand on both of us. Here, here's what Job's saying. Oh, if there's just somebody who understood what I'm going through and somebody who could communicate with God above. If there's just somebody who, who understands humanity and somebody who understands divinity. If that were there, I'd be okay. Here it is. Jesus is the mediator. He 100% God, 100% man. He understands both sides. You have an empathetic companion in your suffering. To know Jesus is to know suffering. Here's the final one. We gain glorification through the finished work of Jesus. It says in verse number 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. A fifth benefit that we gain is the guarantee of future resurrection. Whenever we share in Christ's glory, Romans chapter 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the phrase, the resurrection from the dead, it literally reads, the out-resurrection from among the corpses. (laughs) This is good. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, we will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet But the trumpet will sound, and here it is, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That is, believers will be taken out from among the dead. The rest are not raised until the end of the millennial kingdom. That's another deep need of humanity. It's the need to know about eternity. What happens when I die? For those who are rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, death is not the end. It is simply one more step into the physical presence of Christ. Now, watch how these pieces line up. Verse 8 
is identification. Verse 9 is justification. Verse 10 is sanctification. Verse number 11 is glorification. It is the same theological sequence the Apostle Paul mentions over in Romans chapter 8, 29 through 31. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's sanctification. And these whom he predestined, he also called. Well, called where? Called to himself. We are found in him. Identification. And these whom he called, he also justified. Justification. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorification. That theological sequence is what helps us to have boldness when we approach the throne of grace. That theological sequence is what helps us to understand if God did all of that to bring us into relationship with him, why should I be afraid of others? If God has done that, why am I living in fear at all? Why should I be overwhelmed with temporal things? Because here it is, if God is for me, who can be against me? So in the past five weeks, we have just scratched the surface of what it means to be in relationship with God. Today is not the end of the road, it's the end of the series. But my prayer is that God would use this series as the beginning maybe in somebody's life to maybe reignite a fire to pursue him more. It's my prayer that through the series that people are able to see Christ a little bit clearer and to pursue him more. Keep pursuing him. Let the heart cry be, oh God, that I may know you. When I open the word, God, help me to know you. When I spend time with him in prayer, God, speak clearly that I might know you. When you're going through pain, God, help me to know you in pain. When you're going through victory and mountaintop experiences, God, help me to know you in victory. When you get attacked, God, help me to know you while under attack. Every opportunity is a chance to know him more. So my question is, one last time on this series, do you know him? Has there ever been a time in your life when without a doubt you have repented of your sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ? Has there ever been that moment where you look back and you say, on this day is when I was saved. On this day is when I was justified. On this day is when God began a work in my life. If not, I want to encourage you today. Don't let today pass by without that. Can I ask you if you would, just bow your heads for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our band members are going to be coming and getting into place. Our pastors are going to be coming down to the end of each of the different aisles. So that's, that's the sound you're hearing around you, but don't let the sound get in the way of maybe what God might be speaking into your heart right now. Today, if you're in this room and you know there's never been a time that I have truly repented of my sin by placing faith in Jesus, but you desire that today, I want to lead in a very simple prayer in just a moment. I share all the time, 
the prayer, the words. It's not some mantra that if you just quote this, you're saved. It is that Jesus has done everything necessary to redeem a person's life. And in this prayer, you are simply acknowledging that you've placed faith in what he has done for you. So it might be some people in the room right now as well that you've been a Christian for a while, and you know that, but you have never shared it with somebody else. You've never made it public in baptism. That is a first step of obedience after placing faith in Jesus. In just a moment, there'll be an opportunity, if you would like, come take one of these pastors by the hand and, and let them know, I know that I'm saved, but I've not been baptized. It might be for some other people in the room that over the last five weeks, you've recognized more and more that what you thought was relationship has been far more on the side of religion. You've wondered why the fire has been gone. You've wondered why the passion has been waning. Let today be one of those days that you put a stake in the ground and you say, God, by your grace, I want to pursue you in an incredible relationship. It might be that there's some people that need to simply come down and pray. You've got loved ones that are sick. You've got loved ones who are in the hospital. You've got friends that you're, you've been interceding for. And maybe today is a time you simply want to come and to pray. That's okay. This is a time of response for people to be able to follow forward in what the Spirit of God is prompting them with today. So I'm going to have a word of prayer. For those of you who would like to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm going to I'm going to start there, and I'm going to close out just in prayer, and it'll be opened up for this invitation. But for those of you who want to know Jesus, here's the simple gospel message one more time. Humanity was created for relationship with God. Our sins separated us from that relationship. There's nothing that we could do to reconcile the relationship ourselves. But Jesus did what we could not he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose from the grave three days later that we might have life. And he offers eternal life or reconciled relationship to those who turn from their sin by placing faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. If you have a desire to respond, to have him forgive you of your sins, to give you eternal life, I want to simply lead in a very small prayer. This is between you and God. It would simply be this. Heavenly Father, I know that I've sinned. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. As best I know how, I turn from my sin by placing faith in what Jesus did for me. Will you save me? Will you give me eternal heads bowed and eyes still closed for just a moment I would love to be able to rejoice with you so I'm just going to ask if you prayed with me at that time wherever you might be for just a moment wherever you're at would you just simply lift your hand wherever you might be for just a moment thank you thank you thank you hands going up all around thank you you may put them down you may put them down there's many who've prayed this morning again Here's what I want to encourage you to do. 
let someone know. The enemy will come and steal the joy quickly. Let somebody know. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that your will would be done. Thank you for those who have said yes to relationship this morning. We give you praise. We give you glory. God, may hearts be moved by what you're stirring in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's sing. And the altar is open.